Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Great Muppet Caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today we are uh, thrilled to be joined by a first-time guest. Tell the listeners who you are, guest. My name is Lynn Thomas. You may know me from the Verity podcast, where I blather on about Doctor Who. And it is a delight. And we are we are delighted to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, thanks for being for here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. And so today we are looking at minutes 49 and 50 of The Great Muppet Caper. In these minutes, we see and hear the middle section of the first time it happens, starting with the tender moment between Kermit and Piggy, and then getting up to uh, Piggy's big, splashy solo dance number with a bunch of guys in tuxedos. <laughs> One of whom is Danny John Jules of Red Dwarf fame. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I did not know that. Yep. Did you just happen to spot him, or did you already know that somehow? Uh, I didn't actually know that, but my husband knew it, and he spotted it and pointed it out to me. So all credit due to Michael. If we actually were watching, uh, we had put in the Great Muppet Caper for Caitlin to to rewatch because she also enjoys the Muppets while we were working on a mailing or something for Uncanny Magazine. And so I heard the song, and I like came in to watch the number again. And uh, he's like, oh, look, Danny John Jules. And I was like, oh, my God, that is him. Huh. He's a baby. He must be like 12. Yeah, well, it's 1981, so right. seven seven years before Red Dwarf started. Is yeah, that right? so, yeah, he was basically like he must have just been out of drama school, and and you know this this must have been one of his earliest gigs. But it's definitely mm. him. Yeah, I wonder if that's on Muppet Wiki. Well, well he, um, he also is would, one of the characters that, in Labyrinth too. So right, um, he's he, he's one of the fireys. Yeah, that, yeah, that's he's one I of the fireys. Yeah. Say. Oh, right. Okay, so he is definitely on the wiki for that. Yeah, and and yeah. he w- he would have been known to the Henson Production Company. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, no, I'm looking on the wiki. It, it does it is listed, and there is like a screenshot with a circle of him. Haha, <laughs> vindication. So, so so interested listeners can go uh, go look and see. That is great. We we definitely invited the right person on for this <laughs> yes. episode. Well, we'll see. I, I, in fairness, I, I, while I love the Muppets to bits, I am, I have not done a deep dive in terms of nerdy knowledge about them. So we'll see how this goes. That's fine. You know, en- enthusiasm is ninety-five percent of the the uh, show around here. So. <laughs> um, and actually, so we open with the human couples all dancing in unison with Kermit and Piggy. And we talked a little bit about this last time, but it's just startling to me how well timed this is. That you have all of these human couples and then, a, you know, two puppeteers moving their puppets and it all looks the same. It all looks like they're mm-hmm. doing the same thing. I think it's startling. It's a really fantastic job of choreography. I mean, I, I would assume, you know, when you're talking about the rehearsal portion of the, of this before they record that, you know, what you have is essentially the choreographer off screen who is counting the music for both the puppeteers and the dancers. And they're just making sure they're the, the, the dancers and the puppeteers are in the correct spaces. So they aren't falling all over one another. But um, you know, at that point you've got puppeteers who are all very well trained and dancers, of course, who are trained. So if someone says you're supposed to be in this spot on four, you will be in that spot on four. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's, but it's, it's probably it's the a, most involved choreography in this movie is the most involved mm-hmm. choreography that the Muppets had done up to this point. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, what they're trying to do is reproduce a, a big, splashy musical number from an old Hollywood musical, um, which is something that, you know, when I saw it for the first time, I didn't realize that's what it was because I didn't have 
the frame of reference of big of big splashy Hollywood movie musicals from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Now, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, it's a Busby Berkeley musical right, number. Right, okay, right, of course, yeah. yeah. And and it's kind of amazing how much of one it is. Like, yes, um, you know, in a little bit later on in these minutes, we have that shot where all the male dancers are looking down into the camera. They all just kind of pop their heads in from all around the frame. Yeah. They're like alternating positions and then Mm -hmm. Kermit joins in. That is such a Busby Berkeley shot. It is. It is totally a hallmark shot for him. And it's again, like then a frog pops into frame and says, what a great number. So that's the, that's the Muppet touch. right? And and I feel like somehow I know that is a Busby Berkeley style shot, even though I've only seen maybe two Busby Berkeley movies. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's just part of the the movie landscape somehow. Sure. I mean, it's, it's part of the, the sort of cultural zeitgeist in terms of how we think about dance and the way that it's filmed is that that is a very particular way to film choreography. Um, And, you know, as someone who has gone back and watched a metric ton of musical of movie musicals from that period, because I love them, you know, it's a it's a stark contrast uh, to say the way Gene Kelly decides that he's going to shoot film and dance uh, together, uh, especially later in his career. So it's it, but it but it's a really specific set of visuals that, of course, because those Busby Berkeley movies were so popular, gets redone over and over again. But you know, when I was ten or whatever, seeing this for the first time, I had no idea. <laughs> right. Well, and actually, I remember as a kid thinking that shot with the with the dancers all looking down to the camera, it reminded me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. where yep. the Oompa Loompas look down oh, the, they do the, the same egg, thing. The egg shoot. Yeah, yeah. after after Veruca goes down, because after Veruca's a bad egg. Um, so which, again, is a Busby Berkeley reference. But when mm-hmm. I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's they're doing Oompa Loompas, you know? <laughs> it's the Oompa right. Loompa move. Right, right. Silly. Um <laughs> But so we do, I did want to go back. We do start here before the dance, before the, before the splashy dances, we see um, Kermit and Piggy singing the first time together, how simple, how rare. And um, which is like such a lovely way to describe the romantic feelings at the start of a relationship. And then it's immediately undercut by a shot of Fozzie looking bored. (laughs) Well, I was wondering. I don't, I don't read that as bored. I know. I read that as Fozzie being a hopeless romantic and he's just kind of a sap watching his friends fall in love. That's hmm. what I was thinking this time. There are two yeah. ways you could look at it. it one is because he just kind of sighs and, and puts his head on his hand and you could look at it as, oh, this is such a nice romantic uh, moment my brother is having. Or you could look at it as, oh, what am I doing sitting at this table all alone? See, uh, yeah, well, I think I'm thinking of it because he doesn't want Kermit to do anything without him. You know, mm-hmm. like that's been established. You're you're going on a date without me or whatever. So I think I was reading it as like, well, now they're on the date and Kermit gets to do everything anyway. He does. But now that I'm looking I, at it again, he does kind of drum his fingers against yeah, his He's drumming cheeks. his fingers so, on his hands. That would Although, indicate boredom. I do like the more positive interpretation that you guys have. Like, you know, it makes makes me think I should be less cynical maybe. But. I can still yeah, my headcanon is that Fozzie is a romantic at heart. He just hasn't found the right bear for him. Aww. <laughs> Or pig, or, but, frog, or pig, or frog, or pig, or frog, or weirdo. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. we don't discriminate in Muppet Land. Yeah, whatever, man. Uh, although he actually uh, on the the 2015 TV series, which wasn't great, uh, he dated a human played by Ricky Lindholm. That's true for, for huh. a while on that show. Interesting. Which was which was kind of cute. Yeah, I could see Fozzie being a good person to date. I mean, as long as you're really into dad puns. <laughs> right. Well, I think <laughs> right. he would there be very like. All he wants to do is is make people happy, right? So yeah. he, that might get a little bit 
old, I guess, after a while. But I, I think that could potentially be uh, a good thing about Fozzie as a boyfriend. Yeah, it was a place to start, certainly. I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there are worse foundations for relationships than my goal is to help make you happy. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah that's definitely true. So then we, after Kermit and Piggy have their very sweet moment, um, all of the male dancers start fanning Piggy and like waving their hats. And Kermit just kind of disappears for a while. And that's when we realize that this is Piggy's number, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere, too. Like, there's no reason to think that any of these dancers have noticed her before now, but just suddenly it shifts into a musical number where everyone is just completely uh, in awe of Miss Piggy. Which is, you know, right and proper, because she's Miss Piggy. Sure. Right. How can you How can you not be? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we get that close-up on her as the dancers all hoist her in the air. And what I noticed about that this time is that, of course, she's just a doll during that shot. Where the- well, yeah, so it, it goes in two shots. There's one shot where she's the puppet, and they just start lifting her up, and then it cuts immediately to, yeah, basically the doll, like you say. To, to the wide shot, she's completely mm-hmm. stationary, and it's a pretty long shot. It's about six seconds. But there's so much going on with the dancers, and she was so animated in the close-up that I think it plays just fine. Yeah. Well, and you've got all the movement from the dress that she's wearing, which is which is basically a Ginger Rogers dress. I mean, that looks a lot like her dress from I think Top Hat, um, which which has all the marabou feathers, you know, at the bottom, and and uh, demonstrates a lot more movement, uh, which I think that, has to hide the fact that it's a doll. Yeah, that is a really good point. I didn't yeah. didn't think about the dress, but yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure. They, yeah, I spend they... way too much time thinking <laughs> about dresses. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if they played around with like exactly how long can we hold this shot on this lifeless piggy doll before the audience starts to notice mm-hmm. yeah and this i guess this was like the max this was six seconds this is right? it yeah <laughs> and yeah and then and then we get the thing where the male dancers all look down at the camera kermit says what a great number i love that it is a great number wall. oh well there's so much of it in this movie and it's all yes. so good like it's amazing it's it, like, it's one of my favorite things about this film because this is sort of one of the formative things for me as a kid of understanding that that was the thing and understanding that that was a type of comedy where you were commenting on what was happening. Um, that sort of meta-ness was relatively new to me when I first saw this. So to to have it be done so aptly was just glorious. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree for me too. Absolutely. And that's always been like we, we don't need to talk about Muppets Take Manhattan t- too much right now, but that's always been the weirdest thing about that movie for me is that they don't break the fourth wall at mm-hmm. all, and that's the only one. It's the only Muppet movie where they don't at all, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like it's a reaction to this movie. It's like mm-hmm. we did that so much last time, we shouldn't do it again. Well, yeah, they do it know? so much. As I remember a quote somewhere in an interview with Dave Goals. It might have been on Muppet Central where he said he kind of felt like there was too much of that in this movie because he said it started to feel too smug after a while. I, I disagree. Yes, strongly. I disagree with him all, on that. Yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> right. all, all respect to Dave, of course. But yeah, all respect, he's but he's wrong. And he's brilliant in this movie, of course. But. Yes, he is. Yeah, although he doesn't, he doesn't get much to do in this. I don't think he does anything in this particular segment, right? I don't think he does in these I, two minutes. I don't. No. I'm not sure we even see Gonzo in this in this segment. Yeah, not know. until a little, not until the moment, not until the next segment when Lady Holiday's jewels are stolen, and then right. you catch him taking the photograph. Really, right. I think there's 
one one tiny establishing shot of him sort of fiddling with his camera but then it cuts right away from him so it just sort of says yes he's in the space he's and then you here. don't see him until the, the crucial moment when he gets the photo right yeah yeah which we uh that's a teaser for next week yes. yeah listeners stay tuned yep uh so but that is a good time to transition to talking about well before we talk about lady holiday and nikki any other thoughts on the dancing before we move on well, I think in, that in this one, one of the things that that I think it's important to sort of point out is just what one of the things I love about this film is actually the technical um, skill that goes into making the Muppets dance, and you know, much later on, ride bicycles. Um, I had never like the the when Piggy starts tap dancing, and they open with sort of the shot that's basically sort of the the two shot where where she's it's a mid shot where she's like you see her head and sort of part of her torso, and it's clear that she's dancing and you don't see her feet, and they hold on to that long enough that you think, well, they're just not going to show her feet because why would you do that? She's a puppet, and then they do the shot with her feet, and you're like, <laughs> oh my god, they made her actually dance. This is amazing. Yeah, and it and it looks like her movements actually correspond to the tapping that we hear on the soundtrack yeah they did a really good job with the foley yeah yeah and there's actually of course there's a precedent for muppets doing tap dance numbers without showing their feet because kermit in the first season of the muppet show did the entire song happy feet which was a tap dance number and they never showed his feet they never showed his feet and of course this is also the first shot we get of piggy's shoes which are glass slippers um which you don't necessarily think about i think it's a little distracting because she's got sort of the sparkly tights going on yes i worry about clothing a lot uh but because but that's but that's that becomes an important thing at the end of the next episode we're going to record um because that's the that's the that's the closure of the other tale that they're telling but they have to establish that those glass slippers are part of the scene and this is where they do that Hmm, yeah that's right yeah and it's interesting because you can't see the taps on the bottom of the glass slippers. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not really sure that the slip glass slippers would make that noise, but that I'm going to roll sound. with it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and but who who is watching Piggy out on the dance floor? That's right. It's Lady Holiday and her brother, Nikki. Yes. So um, I assume you're a Diana Rigg fan. Oh, God. Yeah, I would. I would imagine <laughs> so. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, she she is she is everything. Um, you know we're we're we are fans of the the British Avengers series, of course, where she is is Mrs. Peel. Um, I I fell off the Game of Thrones wagon a while ago, um, but like I love her in her Bond film. Um, and you know I've seen a few other of her things, and and including I think one of her Shakespeare's, and it's amazing. Like she's just it's one of those things where if I'm just idly flipping by and I'm like, oh Diana Riggs in this, I will stop and watch it because she's Diana rig and of course she did doctor who well as well but you know right. in her oh. filmography that's actually kind of a minor thing right <laughs> well well and and to be fair um to to be fair to doctor who crimson horror is kind of a minor entry in the doctor who canon i think too it, it's it's a perfectly cromulent episode but this <laughs> yeah. isn't a doctor who podcast so you're correct um but so we are talking about the great mother caper where uh she points out to nikki that's my new receptionist dancing out there he says, which one? And she says, the pig. Nikki says she's sensational. And Diana Rigg does this amazing dry delivery of 45 words a minute, about average. And just kind of shrugs as she says it. Yep. It's perfect. It's a fantastic joke. <clears throat> but here's the thing. First of all, is that really average? It's below average. 
because is that right? I mean, yeah. I understand the, min- that the things- minimum for most secretaries is about fifty-eight words a minute, and the expectation is much higher. Yeah, things were different in the typewriter era, I guess. But um, while I was watching this clip just to see, I I took a typing test on a website, and I came out at eighty-six words per minute. Yeah, Piggy is not actually a very good receptionist. Yeah, and but the other well, thing is, how would would Lady Holiday even know? Because Piggy never gave her a resume or. Anything. She just kind of showed up and Lady Holiday hired her immediately. I would That's assume that there was and, a... And then left. Yes, exactly. She <laughs> well, doesn't know maybe... what her typing speed is. No, she just made it up, probably. <laughs> but she, you know, she's trying to dissuade poor Nikki from another bad choice in his life. Right. But right. It's a, yeah, it's a great joke either way. Well, and, and also, of course, Piggy has rod hands. She can't type. Ah, she can't even type even if she wanted to. <laughs> she could just bang on the keyboard. I th- yeah. you could you could get her an adaptive keyboard, I suppose, or That's, that is there true. Could be yeah, some, there could be some Muppet technology to give her her fingers that are more articulated, so she could type. Yes, I'm just That's saying true, if they yeah. wanted to solve that problem and they thought it was important for the plot, they would have done it. They could do it. If, yeah, and you're but right. it's funnier if, they, if, if she they, can't because then you've got the joke of 45 <laughs> words a minute. I can't think right. of any instances when Miss Piggy has had live hands, but I would not be surprised if she has at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, Kermit, for example, in uh, one of the what is it? One of the play along videos they mm-hmm. show Kermit drawing, and it's just like somebody with green gloves on. It's just a green glove, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in close up, it's very odd. Kermit's hands. Um, so yeah, I, I do want to point out some of sort of the staging of this scene in particular, because if you look at the color scheme of how the scene is all laid out. Only your main characters and specific sets of dancers are in color. Everybody else is in black, white, or gray. Like all the male backup dancers for Piggy are in black and white. The waiters have red waistcoats. And that's really the only pop of color from the people who are ostensibly on staff at the supper club. Hmm. Uh, And then you've got Piggy in pink. You have Kermit being green. And then you have Lady Holiday in her peach glory uh, with that fascinator on her head. Uh, and and the just voluminous, you know, skirts. Right. And, she, and, looks, she looks incredible in this. Yeah. And then Nikki, who, who is like the least fashionable guy ever who gets ketchup on his cummerbund. Um, but it, it's it's really interesting to me how how they chose to sort of lay out that color scheme, particularly because uh, Marla, Darla and the other one. Carla. 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 Thank you. Marla, Darla and Carla are also in black and gray. Like they're trying to blend in with the sort of background set up for the supper club to aid in their theft. It's really only Nikki and Miss Piggy and Kermit doesn't have a choice because green uh, and, and Lady Holiday that stand out in the scene, which I think is a really brilliant way of sort of pulling the focus for that. Also, can I just say that like growing up, that was the only concept of a supper club I ever had. So, sure. Like, oh, yeah. Me too. I, when I got taken to my first one in Wisconsin, that was what I expected. And I was like, this isn't like the supper club in the Great Mother Paper. <laughs> so, so what was your supper club experience? Was there a live band at least? Uh, no, we were there on a holiday. And I mean, it was perfectly pleasant. And the food was fine. And I had a very nice old fashioned like, you know, it, it did. It did. Once once our friends who were who live in Wisconsin were like, OK, this is what a supper club is really like explained it to me in small words. I was like, oh, because I was like when they said, you know, we should go to a supper club. I was like, but I didn't bring a gown, you know, right? Sure, like, yeah. I, if you had told me I would have brought something fancy to wear to the supper club. And they're like, no, honey, it's not like that. And I was well, like, but but Great Muppet Caper says it is. Yeah, I gotta like, say, I don't think of Wisconsin as being the place you would go to find the fanciest supper club. 
Well, but Wisconsin's really the only place I know of that has that sort of law, that supper club thing, like as a tradition. Was was this in the Dells? Uh, No, it was up in uh, the Menominee area. We have friends who live there that we were staying with. Okay, because I know I see signs at the Dells that say supper club. I know I've passed them. Yeah, there's, I mean, Wisconsin has hundreds of them. That is Um, why, because I I live in Minnesota and, mm -hmm. and, and I did not know that. Yeah. You know, like, that's so, why. Like, I only went to my first one last year, but I, you know, it was, it was sort of nice in that we haven't redecorated since 1992 kind of way. Uh-huh. Um, sure, sure. It was all, you know, it was all very, it was all very, the height of fashion in 1992. And now it's just kitschy. Like there, we were there for Easter and like, there was a stuffed moose head on the wall mm. and the moose, they had put like a basket of fake Easter eggs on the moose's head in honor of the holiday. And I was like, you know, I can roll with this. But- <laughs> That's fascinating. That sounds like a, a very different uh, supper club culture than what we see here, though, for sure. Yes, yes, it is. Because um, this is very high end and fancy, which is what I was anticipating when I was first being told about bring, being brought to a supper club. I was right. like, it's going to be all in black and white and it's going to be very fancy. And this, this supper club in Muppet Caper looks a lot like the supper clubs that you see in Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger films. Right, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's very much that model, which of course only happens in Manhattan in the 1920s and 30s. Right. And did yeah. you say? Did you say that supper club was in a place called Menominee? Yes. Okay, so which sounds we, suspiciously like Menomina, but yeah, it's not I just the know, same if, thing. If we did not acknowledge that, we would have several yeah. comments on Facebook saying that yeah. I can't believe you didn't say do 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 do. So there you go. Uh, I mean. I mean, here's the thing. We're still going to have comments just saying, do, oh, yeah. do, 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 Well, now that we said tr- that, we definitely will. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we should also talk about Nikki a little bit before we, before we close on this one. Because he is, you know, enraptured by Piggy on the dance floor. He has just calls her, her sensational. He completely in love with her now, yes. He's, he's I- taken with her instantly. It, it is a virtuoso performance by Charles Grodin. Because he is both doing the most sincere version of being goofily in love and providing the meta commentary on how completely absurd it is that he is goofily in love with a, a pig. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I cannot even sort of begin to understand how an actor would split their brain to be able to convey both of those things simultaneously. But Grodin absolutely nails it. Yeah, well, and especially when he mysteriously joins her on the dance floor briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he like, kind of pops up and then... And- twirls her around a few times sweeps yeah, her off her feet yeah and it's just it's so genuine like you say he's he's not a joke he's not he's just like a person who is making his move you know like, and, and just gazing just at her so intently yeah well yeah. it's yeah. it's one of those things i think i think with the muppets um i suspect that being on The Muppet Show is a lot like being in Doctor Who in the sense that the most effective way to do that work as an actor is to not send it up. You may play it a bit more broadly and sort of vaguely Shakespearean in terms of you, you bring your characterization up to 11, right? Instead of 10. Um, but fundamentally you're not making fun of the content itself. You're leaning into it a little harder than is necessary, but you're not actually, you're not actually breaking that fourth wall and being like, isn't this ridiculous? You know, the the Muppets break the fourth wall and they're like, this is great. But the actors actually play the whole thing very straight. And I think that's what makes that performance work is the fact that Charles Grodin is doing this thing incredibly sincerely. 
like so over the top sincerely that you're like, how how does a human actually act that way? Yeah. And, and that heightened sense of emotion is something that I think helps to continue the suspension of disbelief that you have when you're watching a Muppets film because of the interaction between the Muppets and the humans. And, and you know, the, the whole concept, of course, is incredibly silly. You have Charles Grodin, who is deeply in love with a pig puppet. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I love Miss Piggy. She is a fantastic character. But the the inherent absurdity of that is framed beautifully by his performance because it both acknowledges the absurdity and then decides it doesn't care. Like, it's like, yes, this is absurd, but she's amazing. I just don't right. care. And because he is able to get to that, but she's amazing part, I think that's what makes that performance work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it requires real acting and he's very committed to it. Um, well, and as as we briefly mentioned on the last episode, but I think you wanted to talk about this a little bit more, Ryan. He was so committed to it. That 30 years later, he wrote an article about it. Yeah, well, so I, I actually, going back earlier than that, um, I found an interview from the Los Angeles Times from December 2nd, 1980, so months before the movie came out, where he was talking about some of his upcoming roles, including this movie. And he said, uh, regarding his romantic scenes with Miss Piggy, he said, All I can tell you is I played it straight. There was no other way to do it. It had to be genuine feeling or it wouldn't have worked. Now that it's over, I honestly think that it's probably the greatest love scene I've ever played. Afterwards, I wondered to myself why it had been so good. I don't know the answer, but it did make me wonder if perhaps I hadn't been going down a whole wrong path in my taste with women. (laughs) So There you go. Yeah, and then uh, this article in the Los Angeles Times notes that... uh, Charles Grodin has written uh, an article about meeting Miss Piggy as at a hotel. I don't know if that was ever published at the time, but presumably this is the same as the article we mentioned, I think, uh, last week, which was uh, published on New York Magazine's Vulture website in 2011, right around the time the movie The Muppets came out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it had just never been published. Maybe he just had it in a drawer somewhere and decided it was the right time for it, but um, this article is really something I'll link to it in the show notes, but he talks about arriving in London for the movie and getting a phone call from the real Miss Piggy, because as he explains, uh, in addition to the puppet, there's also this, um, he calls her a, a real short pig like woman who was in fact the real Miss Piggy. She was kept under wraps, but it was she who was called in to play the more demanding Miss Piggy scenes. <laughs> It's, so it's it's totally strange. He talks about going to her apartment and feeling a powerful attraction to her and watching her dance around the room and thinking like he wants to get married to her and have children with her. Um, she tells him that she's actually 56 years old. She used to star in women's prison movies to pay the bills. And <laughs> just just goes on like that. So everyone should read that. It's, it's really like Charles Gordon is so committed to this thing of him actually being in love with Miss Piggy. Yeah. And it comes across on screen. Yes, absolutely. He's great. There you go. So then um, that brings us just about down to the end. We do see Piggy start to do her her very elaborate tap dance, as we mentioned. But I think we should save further tap dance discussion uh, for next time because she's going to do a lot more of it. So uh, before we go, Lynn, we like to ask our guests, do you remember the first time you saw The Great Muppet Keeper? 
I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure I did not see it in the theater. I'm fairly certain I saw it sitting in my brother's room because that was the television that had HBO on it. Uh, and I saw it on HBO as a kid over and and this was the period where like HBO only had like four movies and it showed them over and over and over again. <laughs> so um, I remember watching Great Muppet Caper dozens of times it's it's one of those films that it that i mean i i was a i was a i was a kid who grew up at the time when the muppets were being broadcast and i was allowed to stay up later just to watch the muppet show Aww. Um, like i you know my parents were super strict about my bedtime except when the muppet show was on i could stay up an extra half hour for that oh, i and love that so like i i am of the muppet generation i feel very strongly about the muppets um i you know we just watched the jim henson documentary on netflix and cried through the end of it um because it it's it's an astonishing thing to me but but the muppets are so much a part of the makeup of my personality and my sense of humor and the way that i approach the world that i literally cannot envision a world without them so it's kind of hard to pinpoint when i first saw great muppet caper but i imprinted hard on it and um it is actually out of the Muppet movies from the original Henson period. It's my favorite of them. I mean, I love the Muppet movie, but Great Muppet Caper has a hold on my heart. And I still have a thing for caper films because of Great Muppet Caper. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think Ryan and I both agree that it's actually both of our favorites, too. Yes, it is. And it's, especially watching this sequence, it's like to, when I when I watch this, I think, how can this not be everybody's favorite Muppet mm-hmm. movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's valid. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that's wonderful. It, it, I don't know why. It's kind of silly. I don't. I don't need people to agree with me, but it always kind of does my heart good to hear that Great Muppet Keeper is people's favorite. Um, yeah, it I, feels. It just. Yeah, it just feels good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm. I'm not sure why. It, it feels underrated to me, even if it isn't. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. But yeah. So that just about brings us down to the end. Uh, I had one little. Oh, right. Right. Um, I, just one uh, note from the July 22nd, 1980 draft of the screenplay. Uh, we talked about the shot where it cuts back to Fozzie at the table. In the draft, there's a gag that happens there. Fozzie has a lobster bib around his neck and a lobster on a plate, and the lobster pinches his nose. He says, I guess I shouldn't have ordered the lobster rare. That's that's a good, like, very <laughs> much. It's Very a good solid joke. Yeah, yeah but yep. it would have interrupted all the the goings mm-hmm. on on the dance floor. So that's probably why they cut it. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess it wouldn't quite fit in here in this sequence. Lynn, do you have any final thoughts before we close? I don't. Um, all right. Other than I really enjoy the relationship between Nikki and 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 Diana Rigg, um, because because Charles Gordon and Diana Rigg are clearly having a blast filming this. So, t- so between Nikki and Lady Holiday, that that sort of sibling relationship is one of my favorite things about this film because there's this like the two actors are clearly having a blast, and they are and their characters are so thoroughly exasperated with each other that it is just glorious. Yeah, it's great, and and we're going to see more of them next week. Oh, good on our next episode. So, uh, listeners, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere you can find us. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me, Ryan Rowe. And Lynn, where can our listeners find you online or elsewhere? You can find me on Twitter at Lynn M. Thomas. All right. And uh, if listeners, if you're so inclined, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And tell all of your friends to listen. 
and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye! See you next time. Thank you.